Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. friends and welcome in this is rates and barrels it's a monday project prospect and i'm not dvr Derek van riper is currently trekking across the country i believe right now he is doing the dubious task of 28 30 hours what do you think you know what do you think that is to wisconsin it's got to be 28 plus i've done a lot of uh i've done a lot all the way across, which I would, you know, six days is uh, more leisurely pace. Five days is, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours. You know, so uh, I once did it from Miami uh, to San Francisco uh, oh. in uh, four and a half. Oh, my really God. Terrible. Really? That That's really that's off. I have sucked. no real traveling in me. My wife was from Wisconsin and she did the drive to Arizona, maybe even to San Diego. And it was, I think, close to 28 hours. So probably spread out between two or three days. But that is where Derek is. He is currently making that trek out. Uh, did you guys have a goodbye brew or anything like that? Did you guys have a yeah, a we did. We went to uh, Rosati's uh, Alpine Inn, uh, locally known as uh, Zot's. And uh, they uh, just they don't have a great beer list, but they always have Pliny the Elder on tap. So and it's a it's a it's kind of up in the foothills. So you're kind of just sitting in the trees drinking Pliny the Elder. It's not bad. (laughs) Oh, that sounds pretty nice. And then you also got to do a little bit of that over in Legoland just the other day as well. Any good beers to speak of? Uh, I did not drink at Legoland uh, this time. No, uh, no, I know. Uh, but, uh, did have the ramen. The ramen is really good. Everything is ramen. Uh, that was actually pretty good. And, uh, saw the go extreme sports show, uh, which was, uh, BMX bikers and, um, uh, like, like scooter, like, you know, like, like, but not like, not like, yeah, like the, like the little flippy ones, like, yeah, 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 yeah. like the kind of the, the, the razor scooters. There you go. Uh, and a skateboarder and at some point they all got on the half pipe at the same time and were doing uh backflips and stuff so that was pretty cool you know i had uh, i didn't know what to expect really going in uh and some of it of course is cheesy but you know the acting that they put around it and stuff but <laughs> that's just like that's true it's like for kids right it's like they i don't know it's it, they, maybe it's required for you know kids shows like that but you and i uh, dvr was asking this um and we'll get to baseball here in a second but he was like why i don't understand why either but you and i are just on the same schedule of of life right now because we also <laughs> we we did the great wolf lodge within the same week yeah. i am literally going to la in 2 days and i will be at legoland in 3 days as well there and maybe universal 
So you and I are on that. Same our kids schedule. are our kids of similar ages, you know. Exactly. I mean, that's, the, that's the thing about Legoland. That's it's great for younger kids. It's better than Disneyland for younger kids, I think, because there's a bunch of rides there where there's almost no line because you know it's for the like kind of three to six and seven year olds um and you know that that's nice to just have a bunch of rides where you can just step in and just do it real quick um and then the they have these video rides that are a little bit more for the like you know like video gamey um interactive uh, interactive kind of game rides and those are great for the like kind of uh seven to you know 11 and 12 crowd i think my uh my eldest uh we're nearing the end of his wanting to go there so much but he Sad. still gets a lego at the end of it you know yeah yeah he still gets the set he's like oh i get to buy something right that's yeah, exactly so that's how my kid fun. is with uh, a lot going on obviously because we are in all-star weekend break right now as we're recording this we got the home run derby coming up uh we've got the all-star game but what is prevalent to this episode that we do the focus on is we have got prospect stuff because we're going to be talking about the futures game we're going to be talking about the MLB draft where the first two rounds just finished last night. We're actually literally, as I'm talking right now, the uh, third round is about to start in the MLB draft. But we're going to be talking about the top five. We've got some interesting numbers Dude. on Paul Skeens, and we've got some interesting comps that Eno has put together for uh, Dylan Cruz, which we're going to talk about here shortly. Did you see the commish get booed? Did you see his face, too? I saw him get booed. <laughs> there was like... He took it in stride, but when the Astros came up, he uh, just, you could he tell he was just he was done. <laughs> yeah, he was like super mad. The Mariners were, the Mariner fans and the Seattle fans were giving it to him really hard. That, well, they so did they a good job. They were giving it to him in the Astros pick, but uh, he was getting a fair amount of it the whole way through, huh? Oh, every, no, I just, I had a, uh, I was doing some TV stuff. I heard some, I from some one source that he was getting booed every time he stepped on. Stage, every so. single time he was getting stepped on. <laughs> I didn't watch every single one of them because I was doing the TV, but I happened to be focused on the Astros one and they went really hard no, went, and he no, got frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. He got like really frustrated. <laughs> and then Raul Banez, you know, obviously comes out to do the second round and everyone was ecstatic. So yeah, um, it's, I don't know. It's kind of funny that they did this. So there we're going to be talking about the some hometown picks to Dylan, uh, Dylan Noble or the Meyer Noble, Noble Meyer, uh, 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 Noble Meyer, Noble Meyer uh, picked by the Marlins high school, tall uh, Jesuit, kid. same school as Mick Abel uh, high school, the Jesuit uh, high school. And he and, went there. Uh, yeah, exactly. ooh, that seems like a, a pitching factory there. Uh, and it's starting he, to be. He, he they, there are some local ones. that got some some nice love. Yeah, there was. And the um, also one of the cool things not to jump into it right off the top, but the we got the first pick ever for the extra compensation for rookies starting the year. So oh. Julio Rodriguez last year, you know, came up day one, played the season, one rookie of the year. So we got the very, and it was the Mariners. So the Mariners at home, home city, that was the second pick. And that pick was uh, Johnny uh, Famaggio, I think his name was. I might be saying it wrong now. My brain is mush, but he's the first ever compensation pick for baseball changing their rules and it happened to happen there and they had and the Mariners also had back-to-back -back picks uh, after the first round so it's pretty cool we'll like I said we'll talk Far about the Cruz Farmello? comp Farmello yeah Johnny Farmello Johnny Farmello West yeah. Westfield High School Virginia elite speed 18 year old center fielder and they had taken uh, uh, Colt Emerson and then Ty Pete they had three picks in the top like 30 picks overall that's pretty impressive for a team that's like kind of well 
they're not there yet, I guess, but they're marching their way towards respectability. I mean, this is a, this is a team that should be good soon, and they get four picks on the first day uh, while they're, you know, it's kind of a, maybe they're, they're, maybe they're doing something here that's kind of like a two-timeline approach where they're able, well, to, able to, you know, get some nice picks and also, you know, improve the, the Major League squad. I think also it's something that teams are going to have a really hard look at because this is it. They like it happened last year. This is what it visually looked like. And that was a pretty good pick because you, it also was a little bit higher because like the Mets, they messed up and I think their pick moved down and blah, blah, blah. But it's like having the 30th no, pick they, in the draft. The extra. Astros, the Astros are still being penalized, right? Yeah. I think the Astros, yeah, they, well, they had the 28th pick. Yeah, it's it's. I'm a little confused on the whole process of it, but either way, it was thirty. It is, it is annoying when you look at the the list of picks and you're like, okay, so there's forty picks in the first round. <laughs> well, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> a and B Comps, and C, yeah. and, and then this now was like the PPI. Yeah, yeah, it's super weird. But the Diamondbacks will get one next year because of Corbin Carroll. And, you know, because it's if you they win rookie of the year and then they're in the top three race of um, Cy Young or MVP. So in the on the AL side, they, get, a, they wouldn't get two picks if he won the Roy no. and was. okay. No, that's just qualification. And you can only have one eligible player to do it. So technically, multiple teams could do it like in just throwing out some weird hypothetical if like and I don't see why this would happen, but, you know. Corby Carroll were to finish top three in, in, in NL MVP voting. And then Ellie De La Cruz were to win. Well, I guess Ellie didn't break camp, but if he had broke camp, that would be a scenario where two would get there. My whole mm. point is Corbin Carroll will be one. It of would these. be weird for Corbin Carroll to be top three in the MVP and not win Roy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hunter Brown has got the potential to do it in the AL. If he were to win the um, rookie of the year award, cause he broke camp. And what that I think does is it really puts a little bit more pressure on teams to give this a bigger, harder consideration for next season. And the transition to this is a we've had a couple promotions. The most important I just wanted to mention before we talk about the futures game was Jackson Holiday was just promoted to Double A, and that was actually a big focus on the futures game when they were uh, they had uh, multiple interviews with Jackson Holiday, and they kept asking him, "Oh, you're getting excited to at some point get to Double A," and he was just kind of like shaking his head, and he because he probably knew literally the next day they were calling him up, <laughs> but it's because I had this conversation. This is a high school kid, one year ago, was just drafted. He was the highlight of the draft, number one overall last year. He's touching double A on July 9th. You know, that's the promotion when they're actually back, which means outside shot, you can get to triple A this year. But more importantly, this team probably gives a very, very hard look at him in spring, not only because of the extra compensation and then putting themselves in with Gunner, but he might be ready and he might be able to contribute, if not right out of camp next year early on in the season and maybe those extra pick considerations now that we have like a very tangible view of what it looks like might push teams like the Orioles, the Diamondbacks or any other team that really needs to be highly competitive to start pushing these players even into I argue the top two picks we're going to talk about here in a little bit teams like Washington and the Nationals uh, or Washington and the Pirates might want to consider these very major league ready close guys to come up next year because these are the teams that need these extra picks. They need to be able to take advantage of it. So, especially when I was talking about the kind of the Mariners two timeline, right? It's like, you know, 
for the D-backs, how great would it be to have one of their best seasons in recent years, have Corbin Carroll, and then also in the year after they win 92 games or something and pick in the back end of the first round, be like, aha, but we get two picks in the back end of the first round, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's a great thing. I mean, you, when I look at uh, the the draft day, uh, you know, grades from from Eric Long and Hagen over uh, at Fangrass, what really sticks up to me is when you only have one pick on the first day, you know, um, and uh, like the Yankees just got George Lombard. Like, that's good. They got a pick. But, you know, it's kind of nice for other teams like the Phillies got Adam Miller, third baseman. That's great. But, you know, it's way nicer to be like, hey, we came away with two or three kids on the first day. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's that's going to be a big deal. The other name uh, that you had on the rundown as being promoted to double A's Blaze Jordan. Uh, Blaze Jordan uh, was came on my radar recently because he is a guy that had a interesting feel for hit. His strikeout rates are low, but his swing strike rates are high. Uh, but his his power was uh, not hitting his potential. I mean, he had uh, 55-60 raw power and 35-55 game power on Fangrass, and um, he, he had ISOs around 140 and 150 uh, last year. Um, this year, he's gone on a way-to-bat program uh, with the Red Sox, and um, you know there is some correlation between bat speed and a negative correlation between bat speed and whiffs. There is a correlation between bat speed and just missing more. Uh, but he managed to pull the feet where he lowered his swing strike rate, lowered his strikeout rate, and improved his slugging percentage, all with the use of weighted bats and coaching and just, you know, some general progression, uh, which is uh, obvious for a 20 for a 20 year old. But, you know, now uh, his upside uh, looks really, uh, really fascinating to me where you could get a guy that despite some higher swing strike rates might be able to hit for a high average while hitting for power. I don't know that he's going to steal a ton, which is funny because his name is blaze. Uh, but uh, he might steal enough to, to keep people uh, honest. And uh, you know, I wonder what the, what this sort of pressure this puts on Tristan Cassis uh, this year, blaze Jordan has split time almost equally between first and third uh, third seems like it's capably handled right now in Boston. So I don't know where Blaze Jordan's going to end up, or what it means for Tristan Cassis, but I did want to throw in a plug there for weighted bats. I do think they work. There's been peer-reviewed uh, research on the subject. And uh, here's an example of it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Was it organizational? Why? Because you mentioned this some like <clears throat> month or so back about David Hamilton was another one of those guys. He had a big resurgence in the minors on that weighted bat program. Was it like all minor leaguers kind of across the board? Yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't say that it's prescriptive, like everybody has to pick up a way about and do it. It's more uh, that they identified certain people. It is pervasive and it is part of uh, the new uh, approach to minor league hitting in Boston. They hired Jason Ochart away from the Phillies. Uh, and they also hired. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> no, 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 don't do this. Soteropolis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Uh, they also had John Soteropolis away from uh, from driveline. Uh, he was working with Lars Newtbar. Um, anyway, uh, the two uh, two of them um, are big proponents of bat speed. And so, you know, if you have great bat speed, you don't have to do the way to bat program. You know what I mean? It's 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 more for guys that I think they identify guys who have good hit tool, good sense of the strike zone and could, you know, have better, uh, better bat speed. And Blaze also just throwing out was like a kind of one of the very first of the viral sensation. Like Max Clark, someone who just got drafted is a very social media based guy. Blaze was that too. At 14 years old, he's the guy who was hitting like videos of 500 foot homers like the the power has always been his game but as far as like how he's developed you actually see it very like it's weird a ball in 2021 21 percent strikeout rate 194 iso then he came back and repeated in 2022 his strikeout rate went down to 16 percent but his iso also dropped then he goes to high a uh, th that same year, 25% strikeout rate, ISO tanks, and now he's back up with the lowest strikeout percentage of his career and the highest ISO outside of his complex league run. So you can see development, not linear. It is up and down, and you can see how that's working out and the progress that's going on. But I thought those were two really important promotions that are happening. And this is the space. There might be a few more guys, all-star break, you know, organizations looking because they're also going to be bringing in this whole new talent pool, which, you know what, let's flip this. Let's go, since we've talked so much about the MLB draft, let's actually flip and jump into that. And then we'll go into the futures game since that's a little bit behind us. And the, the draft was fascinating in that the best players actually went. There was so much subterfuge, subterfuge about like, it might be a high school guy and the pirates are trying to save money to play, pay guys later. And it ended up just not being the case. Uh, the top five were maybe a little bit of different order of some of the players. You ended up having Paul Skeens go number one overall, you know, best pitchers and Steven Strasburg to the pirates. Dylan Cruz, who I have from a fantasy perspective is my number one goes to Washington stud five tool high school outfielder, Max Clark, goes to Detroit. Wyatt Langford just falls to the Texas Rangers right in their lap. I don't think they expected it. Big, huge college bat uh, goes four. And then Walker Jenkins, high schooler, goes to Minnesota. So let's start with Paul Skeens, Mr. Enosaurus, because he has got some fascinating stuff. Uh, Lance Brozdowski did a great video breakdown this weekend, which he was able to give us some of that just crucial it's it's gold in the prospect world or the evaluation world of just like back-end analytics that you can't get uh because there was a lot of conversation about the dead fastball 
And he was in, able to show us that there's essentially a two inch difference between the vertical and horizontal movement in skiing. So it's kind of like, you know, dead zone. So the movement isn't there because there's a lot of discussion about the shape of Paul Skeen's fastball being something that people were concerned about. Uh, 209 strikeouts, 15 plus K per nine in the minors this past year, sub one whip, ridiculous stuff. In all of the great breakdown, you get you know information about what skiing stuff looks like. He brought up that he had driveline stuff plus numbers. And these were the two most important ones. 132 stuff plus on the fastball, according to driveline. 122 stuff plus on the slider. So the very first question I would be, um, I'd be excited to hear is what's the difference between driveline stuff plus and your stuff plus? And then however you want to maybe uh, approach this with Paul Skeen's big, big stuff. I think there's a, a little bit different a difference in approach. I mean, for them, Stuff Plus is a training uh, statistic that helps them uh, understand how to improve a, a pitcher's arsenal. And if you think about that, if it is more for training than it is for sort of analysis and appraisal, uh, then you want it to be faster. Uh, you want it to be, work on different platforms. So like uh, you want to be able to be like, oh, we don't have Hawkeye in here. So we're we, like, it's fine. Our stuff plus runs on TrackMan or Rapsodo or whatever, you know. So it has to be a little bit more um, fluid between different data and technology. Whereas uh, my stuff plus is for the MLB. And uh, in it, if I said the MLB. Hmm. Is for major leagues, uh, and so therefore it's Hawkeye based. That leads uh, to something that can be a little bit better. My and mine might be some of the steam shifted wake stuff because that's uh, Hawkeye really captures that data best. I think out of the different uh, data, uh, out of the different technologies that are out there. But uh, theirs uh, has uh, some aspects that are better too. Theirs comes online super fast, and they can tell you in a throwing session what your stuff plus is and you know they can use that to help you kind of be like no uh let's let's throw one with a little more vert or let's throw one with a little more horizontal see what the stuff plus says so it's a little bit more about how you use it um but you know fundamentally they uh were grown from the same petri dish if that makes sense uh they have the same kind of machine learning algorithms behind them uh in a very similar approach so their their scaling is also different so i don't know exactly their scaling is larger so i think a 132 stuff plus uh on driveline might be something like a 110 stuff plus uh on on mine uh, we have slightly I, different scale i'm very glad you said that because i was about to ask if you could translate it the interesting stuff that you get in some of the breaks obviously if you just watch paul skeens you can see how he attacks the zone it's a fastball that can hit 102 uh he's got an interesting lower extension that uh, Lance had kind of likened it to Bruce Dark Gratterall. And then when you kind of watch, you can kind of see it because he just doesn't have like full extension through. But the secondaries popped. Uh, as far as swing and miss goes, <laughs> the numbers that he had, 66% swing and miss on his slider and 56% swing and miss on Paul Skeen's changeup, which I really like. Changeup hits around 88. But the fastball is going to be the big key. It sits inside the zone more. And I'm curious at your take on the shape idea because the i think it was you have to forgive me I, I think it was like 14 vertical or it might be 12 vertical 14 horizontal or it's within two of each other what do you think ultimately when you hear the inside the zone more you hear the shape 
is bad, but it's 102 and commanded. What do you ultimately think that's going to look like? You said 110 stuff plus maybe outside of the 132 from driveline, but like, how do you think your analysis is going to break down that fastball when we actually get to start seeing some, you know, major league data from it? Uh, you know, I think uh, one name that comes to mind kind of is Shohei Otani. And uh, I only say that because Shohei Otani's shape on his fastball is not necessarily ideal. You know, it's not it's he does not make his bones, uh, you know, throwing uh, throwing the, the perfect. He's not like a Bryce Miller. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, it's not the best shape uh, ever. But he throws it hard, and so there's like still a lot to be gained from throwing hard. Um, and so Shohei Otani, for example, has a 115 uh, stuff plus on his fastball, on his four seam fastball, and a 103 on the sinker. So um, you know that's uh, something that comes to mind. Not necessarily that they have the same shape, uh, but that you know you can still get really far in this game just on velo. Um, and so that's part of what they're uh, what they're drafting there. Yeah, where do you think velo and shape? Like, where does velo overpass shape? Is there the I've seen some people do breakdowns on like batting average versus one of the most interesting things I saw Chris Clegg did, which was he didn't see crazy batting average differences on 98 to 102 velos in the major leagues, but you did see a slugging percentage dip of like 50 points from 98 down to 102. So there's a lot less slugging that's happening, but like, where do you think the velo just overtakes this shape conversation at what point? Um, if ever, no, it's actually a very complicated uh, question that uh, is super important and that teams need to figure out and that I'm just at the beginning of sort of trying to think about. So I'm not going to give you an easy answer. But, um, for example, Christian Javier right now is really struggling. And uh, he used to throw 93.8 with a good vertical break from a low slot. Now, this year he throws 92.6. And there's a story between uh, between Chandler Rome and I that breaks down a lot of this. But now he throws 92.6, so down a tick, right, um, from a slightly uh, higher uh, spot, meaning a slightly lower vertical, you know, induced vertical break. All those things have put it together, and it's gone from like a 110 stuff plus pitch to a 90 stuff plus pitch in one year. And so, uh, if you're working for a team, or if you're just listening to this, and you know, you know, trying to think of uh, something you could research, um, precarious fastballs is something that is something that you could think about. And what the idea is: which fastballs have great shape and would be great with two ticks off? That's sort of another way of talking about what you're talking about, right? Like, like, would Bryce, does Bryce Biller need to throw 96 or will his fastball, because it has such great, you know, vertical break, will it also be good at 94 and 93 and 92? You know what I mean? Um, so there's something that we can take. We can take stuff plus as a sort of idea and kind of start to now go into these little sub rivulets and try to figure out, oh, okay. So if I'm trying to project project a guy that's like Christian Javier right now, but I know that next year he's probably going to lose Velo because everybody kind of loses Velo over time, then I'm going to actually project him to be worse because his fastball is precarious. So I do think uh, shape matters, and I think Velo matters, and uh, you're just losing Velo over your career. So I would rather draft someone that had great shape um, and, and then maybe try to coach up the Velo or... I don't know, but in Skeens's case, 
I think one thing that helps him is, you know, we're not talking, we're not talking about signing him to the Garrett Cole $300 million 10 year deal when he's, you know, whatever you're saying, do I want him when he throws hard and for the pirates, right? Like, yeah, that's what they're thinking about. And yes, you do want him when he throws hard. I'm trying right now to uh, find a comp. Did you, what did you say? The, uh, the vertical numbers were, so oh like man, it, I want to say it 14, was like 14, 12. 16 or, or 14, 12. It was somewhere I think it has in there. a lot of side to side, right? Yeah. So 14, it, 16 sounds maybe right. And a lot of it was added too, by the way. They did a good breakdown on the draft coverage of like, he added like five miles an hour. He also changed it to changed his release point, his extension when he came over to Elish. I mean, there were massive changes that were done within the last 18 months to the player that he is. To not say like what will happen when he gets to the majors if someone tries to mess with it, but uh, he's got. I, I want to say it's the horizontal was bigger because it's more like a two seam. I, yeah. I think that's what Lance even described it more as a two seam because there's a lot of ride on it. It's just well, the vertical and horizontal meet. It's not uh, if if it has those two numbers, it's not amazing because uh, Andrew Haney fourteen sixteen, Jesus Lazardo fourteen fourteen, um, you know. Uh, uh, Lazardo was used as a very similar extension comp, by the way, when looking at like his, you know, his actual full extension from the mound. Lazardo was one of those guys that popped up as well. Yikes, uh, which is uh, not great. I mean, let me get Lazardo's really quickly. It'll be fascinating uh, to see where you have it because the slider plays up so much because of the fastball in college. The changeup I really liked, but as you said, like stuff plus numbers haven't like, they don't fall in love with changeups. So I, I'm going to be very curious at like this when the data gets going. I mean, if the Jesus Luzardo is a comp, uh, I mean, you also have to think that Luzardo has in, in some essence, I think a precarious fastball. If you look at Luzardo's starts or you just look at his career, uh, he's been so much better when he throws harder. <laughs> um, and I don't think he has ideal shape, but right now, uh, he has a 103 uh, stuff plus on the fastball, 98 on the sinker, 110 on the slider. Um, I think that Skeens' breaking ball is better than Lazardo's. Lazardo's is a bit slurvy. Um, but if you kind of look at uh, where his fastball velocity right now, Lazardo's at 96.9. Uh, his worst season uh, was the year he got traded. He was 95.8. So uh, there's a little bit of precariousness maybe to Lazardo's fastball. But Lazardo's a pretty good outcome. Right. I mean, we've now got 200 straight innings of a 3-3 ERA and a K-9 over 11. And I think that Skeens has some things that are better than Lazardo's. If you think about the breaking ball and the changeup, they might be better than Lazardo's. So, yeah, um, you know, that's that's a good place to begin with. Also, one one pitchers. uh, It's not terrible. I mean, we got Cole and Strasburg as one one pitchers uh, recently. And then we had Mize and. There was one more that was meh. Um, I mean, I always think back to Mick Abel. <laughs> Mick Abel near the top. But yeah, I mean, there's been a couple that have worked out. It's going to be fascinating because where he's going to be able to live off if his fastball does get hit a little bit in the majors, how up will this, or even in the upper minors, how will the slider and changeup work in the minor leagues? So Paul Skeens, uh, did you have anything else on Paul Skeens? I didn't want to move us on if you had some, if you were still comping. No, I've got, let me see here. Every number one overall draft pick in history. Let's see here. Casey Mize was one. And then 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, Brady Aiken, Mark Appel. Yeah, Martin. Yeah. But Garrett Cole was a good one. Steven Strasburg was a good one. So, And David Price, that's a good one. That counts. And as big a stuff as anybody he's got. So, Luke you know, this Gavar, is probably not good. <laughs> Which one? Luke Hogavar. So that's, uh, yeah. it's about 50 50. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you're going to bet on a guy that throws at 102 and has 50 plus swing and miss rates on his secondaries right. in the minor the and has made big changes. little thing to mention was just there's some, some, some usage, some heavy usage. Yeah. 120 plus every single time he goes out. Still yeah. throwing 100. That's, that's fairly stressful. So. 100%. Uh, number two, Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz, one of my absolute favorites in here. We've talked a lot about him. Um, some interesting college data, only a 14% chase rate. He had a max EV of 112.8, which is pretty solid, but he had an incredible, and, and some people are very dismissive of it and it's fine, but average EV I think is a fun thing to look at. And he had a 95.7, which was the highest of any of the college guys that I had. So that just shows consistent hard hit pretty stuff. Naughty. Yeah, and we, we talked about a couple weeks back where you know he's hitting 107 opposite field, low lowish strikeout rates, high walk rates, makes tons of contact. You went to work on player comps before we started this. So I think this is uh, the guy of guy. I think this is the new face of the organization. You lose Soto, you bring in a guy like Dylan Cruz to be the guy. And I think there's a huge, huge floor with a pretty dang solid upside i don't know where the power is ultimately going to go and if he runs a little bit more but uh talk to us about what comp machine you ran through for dylan cruz well we had a surprisingly disappointing zone contact rate um i had uh, i think 84.5 and you had like 83.8 yeah. so uh i took every uh major league qualified hitter that had uh, a zone contact between 83 and 86%. Um, and that ended up being uh, about 30 hitters. Um, and then I took uh, th those 30 hitters and um, I uh, then sorted them by uh, chase rate because we both had plus chase rates. Uh, I think you said 15%. I mean, yeah, that's 14. like the best in baseball have 15%. That's yeah, like 14 actually. It was actually 14 oh, at LSU is what I had. Even yeah, better. crazier. I don't have any 14s in this group, uh, but I then, by sorting by O-Swing, uh, I, I got the guys who don't have the very best zone contact but do have a very good eye, um, and I also put pull rate in there, and uh, I should have put quality of contact in, but then you start really whittling it down to, like, you know, one guy as a comp. The way that I have this here, the right-handed comps, are Brian Reynolds, Ian Happ, and Pete Alonzo. And I actually think this describes fairly well three different avenues for him to go. If he kind of uh, focuses on the power um, and uh, you know works on maybe pulling the ball a little bit more, that'll be the Pete Alonzo outcome, um, where you know he's got the biggest pull rate of the three. 
Um, uh, but he has opposite field power and he's a total masher. And if that's, uh, if that's the outcome for Cruz is Pete Alonso in the outfield, uh, thumbs up. If he ends up on the uh, outer end of his strikeout rate, like if it's Ian Happ is 25% strikeout rate, um, you know, but a 17% walk rate, that sounds very Cruzian, right? Um, that could be a total outcome for Cruz where he's a high walk rate, medium to highish strikeout rate, power speed in the outfield, uh, maybe a slightly better, a better Ian Happ. I, I I don't want people to think that like, oh, Ian Happ is not great uh, and he's saying bad things about Dylan Cruz. I, I don't think that's what I'm saying. It's like you can be the first one pick in the draft and be a successful major leaguer and still be Ian Happ. And, and that's and that'd be a great outcome for your team, you know. Uh, but the third one is Brian Reynolds. Um, and that one, I think, is if he focuses more on the contact um, and spraying the ball around and um, has the better strikeout rate uh, for that kind of zone contact rate. So I think that's uh, in between the three of these, you've got some pretty interesting comps, some pretty exciting players, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he could step right in. And and if he did something like that, uh, you know, Ian Happ, but stayed healthy, you know, uh, or Brian Reynolds with slightly more power, like all those outcomes uh, sound pretty good to me. Yeah, Brian Reynolds is the one, even before I'd even heard any comps or ran anything, was was kind of standing out to me. Similar max EVs, uh, at least what we had with Cruz, was like, you know, 112.8. This year, 112.6 for Brian Reynolds. There you go. Crazy high average uh, EVs, like I said, for Cruz. 95 isn't going to be the major league one, but Brian Reynolds, 91.9 this year, which is an above average one. Barrel rate, uh, pretty decent at, what is it, uh, 12.9. He has a little bit higher of a launch angle than Cruz, at least in college this past year. Cruz had around a 9, but under 20% K rate, almost double-digit walk rate. I just think there's very similar. I think Cruz's upside goes beyond. It's a bigger, more impactful Brian Reynolds. And when you think about that, those start to become like top two round fantasy players. You know, it's like the, I don't want to say Mookie Betts, but it's it's starting to get in that general area. If Cruz taps into 30 plus power and steals. Yeah, if he's like a 30-20 guy with a 300 batting average. Yeah, because I mean, it's the like guy. A, that's a young Bryce Harper in a way. And I think some people, for obvious reasons, will put some of those comps on there. But he had 422 this past year with a 561 OBP and an almost 700 slug. Almost, that's, uh, where, that's where I get lost on on college stats. Honestly, they're all so good. I mean, did you see the first round the the first round picks yesterday? I was watching, and they they all had ridiculous numbers. There was guys with 470 averages in yeah. like 570 averages. Like what? That doesn't even make sense to me. So it's tough when you see like a guy that's at like you know. Uh, Maryland Jesuit or something. High school. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're hitting like four. Fi- well, high school numbers are absurd because it's yeah. they're putting out like uh, Max Clark, who went three, hit like six hundred in high yeah, school. This right. patch. Like and I've and I've I've been the guy keeping score in little league. I know I know that's little league and high school are not the exact same thing. But I know that there's a guy like me, like a dad in the stands, trying to chart these high school games totally. on the Game Changer app. I bet you they use Game Changer too. You know, yeah, the, probably. There was something when Max Prep, I think, had Max Clark, who went three over all to the Tigers. We can just do quick stuff on these other guys. Uh, uh, they had his career high school stats at like 
560 with 88 <laughs> stolen bases and 13 career strikeouts. I mean, in high Max, school. it's not even that far fetched to think that Max Clark's dad might be the one keeping that's a hit. <laughs> this, this ump's an idiot. That's not a strikeout. I'm yeah, not right. on the list. exactly. Uh, Max Clark, five tool player, big run, good hit. There was a little bit of subterfuge that, like, maybe people thought that Wyatt Langford should have gone over for him or oh, that. Yeah. yeah, that was a bit. Max Clark was in conversation. The rumor was he had had conversations with the Pirates to go number one overall. So this one, two, real quick. Um, Max Clark, like I said, five tool, you know, very analytical kid, hardest trainer, weightlifting. He's got huge quads, can run like the wind, uh, can hit the ball really well. Actually, really good plate presence on being able to adjust in you know, hitting across himself to uh, push it opposite field or just get more loopier to try to pull the ball. Very, very smart kid, just as the high school guy versus White Langford, who pretty much rated 60 plus on the hit and power. Big, thicker guy, can run some projected. Was to up be against easy... better uh, SEC talent. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, playing up against the highest level in college. Yeah. So th that's a big, but also difference a big age difference it. where if you think these guys are somewhat similar, you might want the guy who's four years younger. Well, and they're physically younger. very different because White Langford is a, just a he's a big, bulkier guy. I think he's like six one though, but just bulkier physically, a little bit you shorter see him swing. Being like maybe first base or corner outfield, like he's not gonna he's not gonna be a center fielder or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think they would probably try him there, but he's got the feel of like a right fielder. Um, but it's probably thirty five plus power with the you know, homer power with good batting average and the ability to steal anywhere from 10 to 20 stolen bases where max clark i don't know if the power is quite there but he does look like a guy that could steal 30 or 40 bases hit 20 to 25 and hit for average so both of those guys are very interesting in fantasy both really high-end picks and then the last one and any takes you have on these guys was uh walker jenkins who is physically different than all these guys because he's six foot three, six foot four, 220 pounds plus, got a beautiful swing, big power. He's just a young, projectable guy who I guess had some uh, handmade injury this past year, so missed a lot of circuit baseball time. So it, those are very three very different prospects. They all have power potential, but if you want the five tool, it's probably Clark. You want the safe bet with big power, it's Langford. And if you want a dream, it's Walker Jenkins. And that's how the top five on the draft came out. I don't know if you have any Clark, Langford, or Jenkins uh, thoughts. No, I just uh, you know, high school high school is a is a is a is a crazy thing for me. Um you just you, I think you have to rely a lot more on the eye test, uh with because we just don't know what you know what the fields are like. Like I did a thing on 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 Cuban guys coming over and some of their some of they play sometimes they play their games on the nice field and you know sometimes they play their games on the one that's by the hospital you know <laughs> and like the one that's by the hospital has rocks on the infield and i've definitely seen a big difference in fields uh around you know even in palo alto where the fields are pretty nice um so uh, you know i just think that uh you know the defense the quality of defense opposition the quality of pitching opposition like i almost think that the numbers are useless uh, have to come with very heavy regression and, and just sort of mostly doing this on eye tests, uh, which uh, makes me uncomfortable because I don't think eye test is my best, uh, uh, my best way to appraise players, but I don't say, I don't think that's true for everybody. So you really have to rely on your scouts. I think with, with high schoolers and, uh, and, 
maybe that's a little different with high school pitchers because at least you can maybe you can find some shape data and some you know at least you have velo and maybe some shape data and you can you can do some stuff plus type analysis but uh with hitters i feel like you're just uh looking at the swing and you know, saying that looks nice. I think that's also why a lot of uh, MLB was really trying to push this combine because at the combine, they were able to run these high school guys out on the screen when pitchers were going. Um, you would see vertical, horizontal, mm-hmm. you'd see Vila, you would see all the data you want up on the screen there. And the same with hitters when they were going EVs. But that's also why, by the way, plenty of players did not take part in like Max Clark did not take part in this where he could have, I don't know if it had anything to do with anything, but you know, there were players that chose not to hit, just be there, do interviews and stuff like that. But I think to your point, there's plenty of people that are uncomfortable without having some of that data, but you know, that's why it's the the track record on high school arms is probably one of the worst in the draft. Well, that's also why I guess we're like, I'm not taking a high school arm in the first anymore. Well, and the Marlins just didn't care. I, I, I definitely yeah, want to talk about the They took two high school here. arms in the first. Right? Two of the best. They took the <laughs> best lefty and the best righty. I think Noble Meyer could be special. I really do. He is six foot five, power fastball, power slider, super smart kid. I love the him. I think nice on him. I think he could be the best in the class. It's not Paul Skeens of all these guys. Hundred percent. Um, he that was one of my favorite. The Diamondbacks getting Tommy Troy and uh, Lou James Grover, who Grover. Is just a. I think he's an analytic. I think he's a guy we're going to be talking about in the future. Sub ten percent K rate in college this Troy year. Troy was an, really interesting because we we got to see him a, a fair amount of him near the end of the season. Oh yeah, he's um, in your neck out here at Stanford, and um, he was outperformed by all the other players on his team in the regional and the 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 super mm. regional um, and in Omaha. Not in terms of um, uh, approach to the plate, I don't think. I think he has a really, really solid approach to the plate. And you could see his physicality, and um, I think he's going to be a good hitter. Uh, but in terms of just, uh, just, I think the kind of small sample stuff that doesn't matter as much. Like, he just didn't manage to get a homer or a hit while we were watching. And so I kept telling my son, like, yes, that guy's really good. He's going to go in the first round. And we kept waiting for him to do something, and, like, you got a couple walks. That's the know. worst feeling. I have that a lot when you go to complex. Like I'll be like, I'll be focused on some guy who's been in the Dominican summer league and he's got these crazy stats. You're like, Oh my God. Okay. Let's go. You sit there and they're like two grounders, a fly out and a strikeout. And you're like, ah, what the, is that's why you got to see. A whole is he lot actually any worse than I thought? Or is he, it's, it's just like one of those weeks where you got, you know, one I of think, the, I think he was just taking a lot of walks, you know, I like think he that has a very strong approach to the plate where he's not going to give in. K rate, 11% walk rate, hit 400, had a 700 slug, 114.3 max EV, Tommy Troy, uh, 92.5%. I will say that there was was something in, was it the um, the Long and Hangin um, saying that Pac-12 hitters haven't worked out? Um, I mean, Andrew Vaughn's been pretty decent. That's a Pac-12 hitter, but I, I, right. I'd have to like sit and think through all the guys. That's just the right. first one. Adley Rutschman's a pretty good Pac-12 hitter. That's right. Just yeah, that that's, out. A good, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. yeah, those are the only those are two that came at the top of my mind. But those, uh, you know, but it might be like a longer the recent track history of Pac-12 hitters and pro ball is not good, and the Cardinals are familiar with that. That Ryan they Holgate, took Chase Davis, and they took Chase Davis. 
the, maybe Long and Hang is saying the recent history, as in the very recent history. I mean, I think the Vaughn and Rutschman are pretty recent, though. So. That's pretty. It's like 2019. So. Maybe we're just we're looking at the two that succeeded, and there's a yeah. lot below that that happened. There's so. there's a there's a ton, and Chase Davis was one of those guys that I really liked as well. It's a fascinating draft. We'll probably continuously break it down. These guys will sign. They'll get to camps. The top five is what you guys really care about, but there are some fascinating stories and some really good values of players. Uh, Matt Shaw. Is there anyone the that you would take? Uh, in fantasy uh that like different from where he was slotted i think i would take those i got all of the hitters over paul Skeens. honestly i would i would just move all those four hitters above paul Skeens, and i think uh i would just have uh, i think i'd have the older ones higher just because in fantasy we can't wait forever so you that's know. funny you said that uh, i have Skeens three i'm taking langford and cruz over the two high school guys i, I think Skeens is going to produce quick but if right. you're talking about guys that really differ i have two opposite end ones Chase Davis is the guy that we just talked about. I have him at like six or seven on my list. And mm -hmm. he went, what, 21 to the Cardinals. So I've got him very, very high. Beautiful swing. Everyone comped it to Carlos Gonzalez. Um, big, hard hit numbers. And then the other end of it is Jacob Wilson, who went six. I have down into the 20s because he has absolutely no power. He, huge contact percentages in the 90s on 92 plus uh, EV or 92 velocity above overall contact. But his average EV was like 83 on what I saw, 102 max EV on a short sample size. And he got so like by the A's? At six. So it's like- so I, don't, he, I don't think the A's are necessarily going to put him on a way to bat program and get the most out of him. If they do, it would be great because of the contact, but he's a guy that went high that I dropped. But Nick Allen's and... never heard of weighted bats. I've, 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 I've made sure of that. I asked. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Did he do the shake his head like, I don't know what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. And <laughs> Nick Allen seems like, does that sound a little bit like Jacob Wilson? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Great contact right. rates, great defense. Maybe Vegas will know what weighted bats are, and Oakland <laughs> just doesn't. Just pointing out there might be reasons behind it. So, yeah, Chase Davis would be the guy that's much higher than it was, and uh, Jacob Wilson would go lower. Hey, let's talk about the futures game here for a minute. Though I will tell you, it wasn't like super exciting. Like, they, a lot it, of it, pitching. I mean, nobody, no hitting. There really wasn't much. I mean, literally on this list, as far as hitting, uh, Nassim Nunez got the MVP off of one hit where he got a couple RBIs. He was fun, but I had like, you know, Lawler went 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. Churio went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Just some of the big offensive guys. It was about the pitching. And, you know, hat tip to, to DVR and I for talking about it last week. I, I said on here, Jacob Mizorowski was going to be the guy that everyone's going to ooh and awe about from the Futures game. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. 18 pitches, 14 for strikes, was hitting 102. And uh, there's this interesting, interesting anecdotal thing. And then I want you to go through the stuff plus numbers where someone had said, I think it was Statcast said he threw four fastballs, five curbs, seven sinkers and two cutters. And he disagreed. And he's like, no, it was fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. So it's just a, it was a funny anecdotal like difference from what uh, Statcast says to what the player says because they essentially put what is it a cutter and a sinker and he's like nope my cutter was a slider my fastballs were not sinkers and then um, I don't even think and he said he had a changeup in there was which wasn't registered but he looked insane ridiculous hitting the top of the zone he was the talk of the town talk to me about what you saw to Jacob Mizrowski with the Brewers yeah it looked pretty fascinating and I did see some conversation about whether or not his uh landing is funky and if he's uh you know if his mechanics are super clean but just in terms of what i 
I can see, which is movement and velo. Um, I was I was in the tank for him. I mean, uh, 206 stuff plus on the four seam, and this isn't uh, <laughs> stuff plus doesn't normally start with a two. There is nobody nobody regularly throwing twos, and I'm not saying he's going to come next year and you know or be throwing two hundreds regularly. The one thing that happens in the futures game is all the starters are converted to relievers, right? Yeah. So you know this this all comes down off of a peak, but it is still nice to see. Oh, how does he against his peers? You know, even in this situation where they are throwing for one inning, and he was absolutely the best in the game uh, by stuff plus. And have have you, know, you real quick? Have you ever one thirty one stuff plus? And we had it. Yes, it was a cutter, but uh, you know, best best stuff plus in the game, best fastball stuff plus. And if the sinker, if there was no sinker, it was one sixty seven. If that was the changeup, that's good. You know, like just lots of great stuff, just good vertical movement and good uh, and good velo. Have you ever seen a 200 uh, stuff plus from a reliever or anybody? How, like, how many times have you seen a 200 stuff plus in any scenario? I, I, you know, actually in the futures game before, well, you know, I think there was a 200 before. Oh, really? Um, okay. I'm trying to trying to think of who it was. Uh, maybe it was Bobby Miller in the futures game before. That makes sense. That I mean, yeah. big, huge fastball. So, is right. there was there any did any worry come out of it? Like talking about the delivery or the funkiness? Is there any? non-starter worry or did you just take these numbers and go man start getting your jacob mizrowski stash him away and see how he develops over the next year or two yeah i'm just i'm i'm not as worried about that i mean i think on the very extremes it can be worrisome uh i think of matt brash's head snap Mm. oh i don't think i noticed if he would i know what you're talking about with brash i don't think i noticed mizrowski i don't think yeah i don't think mizrowski has that but you know if it's if everyone's in consensus that it's a problem and it, and I can see it. Uh, I, I get it more, but this one is just a conversation that some people are having about the way he lands. Um, and I feel like that can get cleaned up. I mean, Adam Ottavino, uh, you know, sometimes gets too cross body and he, he like takes some, uh, he just takes some spray paint and puts a little circle on the mound when he's training and just is like, I need to land in that circle, you know? Um, I think there's certain training methods that can help you with the, your landing style. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily something that's innate, you know, so I'm not, I'm not so worried about that. I think also when you see like six foot five, six foot six plus pitchers that have movement, like a lot of movement in their body, it also looks a lot more uncomfortable because this is like, a, I think he's like six foot six Mizorowski. So when there's a lot of motion in there, I think it just throws people off. Sometimes something's going to be a take, It takes a little bit longer to 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 come to fruition i mean there are examples in the major leagues of tall especially lefties that have uh that have had taken a while to kind of put it all together and some that never did i i think it's randy johnson's the guy who made it work but um nukem sean nukem yeah was a guy where it didn't all the different pieces of the uh delivery didn't quite come together Let's hope he's not Sean Newcomb. Uh, you got some interesting stuff plus numbers. I thought he was yeah, a pretty good performance out of Mick Abel, who I believe started the game, uh, two strikeouts in an inning, and I think he, yeah, he was like talking crap on Mick Abel earlier. Was was I? Yeah, you saying first round picking? You kind of rolled your eyes. No, Mick Abel. Uh, no, no, no. Mick Abel's fun. I like Mick Abel. I had a, I, we, had a the, the, the model really loved him. One twenty nine stuff plus on the curve. One twenty one on the fastball. One twenty on the change. It was like one of the few changeups the model liked in that game, uh, and 114 on the slider. So even if you uh, take the changeup out, because I think changeups in two, three pitch samples, I'm not, I'm not going to report those uh, 
too uh, too excitedly. But uh, these some of these numbers, like they're put, you know, in fastballs and breaking balls. You know, I'm not saying that like eight uh, is enough, but eight has signal in it. You know, there's definitely it's definitely telling you something. And the numbers haven't quite been there uh, for the season on Abel, but I think it was really good to see him get the start and those numbers pop again. It was a smaller outing, like you said, but all 110 pluses with three of the four being 120 pluses, I think is a very good sign against this competition. And some traditional numbers that do speak to his excellence in the minors in terms of swing strikes and, uh, and strikeout rate, Uh, a career strikeout rate in the minors uh, north of 27%. Um, so we're, this is, this is a good picture. I know that there's, uh, questions on this command. Um, and I think that'll largely be what he needs to figure out. Well, one thing more than anything else, you did something cool here and this guy's name does not show up on it, but I want to get this list. Just wanted to point out, I have been a huge fan and this is something I said to watch out for of Carson Wisenhut in his changeup, because I think it is the best changeup in minor leagues right now. He ended up throwing 10 pitches, nine were for strikes, and he showed off that changeup, which was absurd. I want to say they actually interviewed Jackson Holiday about it, and Holiday's like, I knew it was coming, but I just couldn't do anything about it. Like He's like, <laughs> it was a disgusting pitch. He's like, I knew he was going to throw the changeup, but I just swung through it. It's also and- like, you know, that kind of changeup is, I think, one of my favorite pitches to watch. I think it's beautiful because... Yeah. To me, it doesn't make any sense to make the ball move that way. <laughs> yeah, it floats. It fl- yeah. it floats in and just gets under. But it didn't make this list because you put together the single, the ten best single. And pitch the bottom types. of the list is all changeups. Uh, oh so... yeah, I didn't even notice that. You're right about that. But he didn't make the list, so why don't you go through the uh, ten best single? Yeah, pitch the ten types. best single pitches uh, in the futures game were Jacob Mizorowski's fastball, Spencer Schwellenbach's curveball. Uh, Jason, Jacob Mizorowski's fastball again. That's <laughs> the sinker. The sinker. Uh, yeah. Clayton Beater's slider, Luis Guerrero's cutter, Sem Robertsi's slider, Owen White's slider, Jacob Mizorowski's curveball. Now you know why he was the top guy overall. Joey Cantillo's slider and Mick Abel's curveball. Uh, so obviously this model likes breaking balls, but um, I think having a really good slider is huge for your outcomes because at the very least you can be a reliever. I think, you know, having a, a great slider, even in today's league where I had the piece last week on Friday about how hitters are hitting the sliders better than they have in the past. Um, it's still one of the best pitch types in baseball. And so being able to command it and throw it for action as well. Um, I don't think that I, the high man on Joey Cantillo, or anything, uh, but it does speak well to his possible outcomes. And um, I'm, I, I took away from this. Uh, Mizorowski's the real deal. Cantillo might have something going on, and Mick Abel is better than I thought. <laughs> Mizorowski, three of the top ten single best yeah. pitches. The only guy <laughs> to show up on this list twice, which was pretty crazy. Uh, you know what do you got going on? Do you have uh, what articles are in line? We were just talking before. We got on the episode here today. Uh, what's releasing this week? What's in your world? Yeah, going to work on a piece about the park factor in, in San Diego. It has uh, changed from kind of the uh, low 20s to kind of uh, the hardest place in baseball to hit in the last couple of years, uh, according to certain fact park factors. So uh, I'm taking a look into that this week and uh, just about to publish on the blog. If you 
are a betting type, and if you're listening to this, you might be. Um, I did my handicapping uh, for the home run derby. So I don't know. It's not up yet, but it'll be up soon. Oh. Um, and, uh, you know, the... Uh, the the two things that I that I look at are barrel rates, which everyone who's listening to this knows, but then also something called a blast rate, which is how often do they hit the ball uh, 105 plus in between 28 and 32 degrees. Those are the biggest home runs in baseball. Those are the biggest home runs in the home run derby. And the winner of the home run derby has been top four in the field in blast rate every single time. So I haven't seen it yet. I did. I did a similar thing. I was trying to take some analytical approach. I went and looked at the, it's funny, the top barrel percentages from this home run derby. I wanted 15% plus. Mm -hmm. I wanted 50% hard hit rate. And then I found a guy that had a five homer expected home run addition in Seattle from where he currently hits. Whoa. And I picked Adolis Garcia. Ah, my that's pick. my dark horse. I wasn't that's gonna. I wasn't gonna say it because I, the piece is gonna go up in a second. But well, it's, dark it's just a blog post. The... Just a blog post. It's all right. Yeah. So that was my guy. Adolis Garcia had... is my dark horse. He's top four in blast rate, and uh, the barrel rate thing is if you have a, a bigger than five percent differential off of your competitor, uh, you win eighty five percent of the time. Ooh, that's very uh, good. And so he should win his first round, which is uh, Randy Rosarena. Arena. Yep. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, he's also. Oh wait, no, he doesn't have the five percent differential on Randy Rosarena. But I just he shows up in barrel rate and he shows up in blast rate. He was he was my dark horse. Yeah, and he had this odd. It was twenty seven projected homers when I looked at it a couple of days ago in Seattle, which was five more than he currently had. It was like the. Third most homers he would have if he hit all his homers in one park was Seattle, which was like so that. odd. So I, I thought like that, that was a cool little extra thing. Go check that out. You can go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you are not signed up, you can go get locked in for only a couple bucks. You can check out that article, everything else that is going on. Make sure you do so. Send good vibes out to uh, DVR, who is trekking the country, and we will have him back soon. And I think we got a couple more episodes coming up this week, not with me, but with Al Melchior and Eno. Eno, thank you so much for hanging. Thank all of you guys for hanging out with us. And we will talk to you next time right here on Rates and Barrels. <laughs>